Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, June 10, 2013, and today we're reading from the big book. You're going to find us in Chapter 2, entitled There is a Solution, on page 26, the very first paragraph, beginning with A Certain American Businessman. And today's readers are Judy B., Rebecca, Deborah, and Penny E. The share ID number for yesterday, that's Sunday, June 9th, is 4612. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Lois to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Lois, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts, and I have the privilege of reading the 12 steps today. One, admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory of us, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to, comp- to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much, and I pass. Thank you, Lois. I will now call on Melanie to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. A vision for you, Big Book Study Group. My name is Melanie and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon, the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise as problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting. 
declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such, that may be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in Chapter 2. There is a solution on page 26, the very first full paragraph beginning with a certain American businessman. And I will ask Judy B. to begin reading, please. Good morning, this is Judy B., a recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. A certain American businessman had ability, good sense, and high character. For years, he had floundered from one sanitarium to another. He had consulted the best-known American psychiatrists. Then he had gone to Europe, placing himself in the care of a celebrated physician, the psychiatrist Dr. Young who prescribed for him. Though experience had made him skeptical, he finished his treatment with unusual confidence. His physical and mental condition were unusually good. Above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time. More baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for this fall. A beautiful paragraph which describes the condition that so many of us uh, found ourselves in. We just, um, and this this man just uh, was unable, was unable to um, live a life uh, without without the um, substance just, completely destroying him and I just he had consulted the best known psychiatrist and he he really he he came through that experience he came through that experience with unusual confidence and and I I identify with that I mean there there comes a time when we just know, oh, I will not relapse. I'm just not going to relapse. This this uh, is not going to destroy my life. And then yet, once again, we go back to our, our abuse and our substance. And, I mean, even his knowing everything about his mind. I mean, he worked with the very best, the very best psychiatrist. I mean, he had... He had confidence that this was going to work, and yet in a short time he was drunk. You know how can this happen? He had no, 
He had no explanation for this. Well, we know that this can happen because he was an alcoholic. And he had a physical allergy and a mental obsession. And those, they, it takes over. It takes over until, until a person can go through a complete psychic change. And, and that had not happened for him at this point. Um, you know, he, he needed something else, and we'll, we'll get to read about uh, the wonderful way that this, this came about. But uh, it's just interesting to see that, um, and even if we have people on the line now that, that are in this state where if, if you know that you um, are never going to return to eating again and you haven't gone through this uh, beautiful spiritual experience, of, of having your thinking changed completely, just know that it's necessary. And um, recovery is there for everyone who will uh, completely submit to this, to this program of uh, a beautiful spiritual uh, way of life. It takes commitment. It takes work. It takes surrender. But it's possible. It's possible to come from this horrible state of thinking into a way of life which which completely is beyond your wildest dreams. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Judy. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Monica. This is Sally. This is Katie. Monica, Katie. Who else was in there? Sally, can you hear me? Sally. Let's start with Monica, Katie, and Sally, and we'll catch the others. Go ahead, Monica. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Okay, a certain American businessman, and this man's name was Roland Hazard, had ability, good sense, and high character. This was a highly educated Yale graduate, was a businessman, was very successful in his businesses, had a number of them. For years had floundered from one sanitarium to another. For years. He'd been going from sanitarium to sanitarium, you know, getting dried out and going out and doing it over again. He had consulted the best-known American psychiatrist. So he's done all the, you know, the asylums. He's gone to a lot of different psychiatrists. So then he goes to Europe, and he places himself in the care of Dr. Young. And this is when, um, you know, psychology was becoming very, very big. It was Dr. Freud, Dr. Young. And um, he goes to Dr. Young. And who prescribes for him? Now, he doesn't go there for just a 30-day treatment. He spends one year with Dr. Young. And, And then he thinks, he says, you know, he believed he had acquired such profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. So he spent a year with Dr. Young and he said, all this psychology, and he's learned a lot, and he thinks, yeah, I got it this time. This is it. And goes on to say, nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time. And the story is, on his way to the boat to come back to America, he gets drunk again. More baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for this fall. So all the knowledge in the world did not do it for this man. And all the determination in the world and all the money in the world did not work for this man. It's a spiritual problem, and we need a spiritual solution. And I pass with that. Thank you, Monica. Katie, please. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, I just wanted to focus on how many how many times the word he is in here. You know, he was going to do it. He could do it. And his knowledge of himself, you know, that is, um, that's where I thought I could, uh, could, could make it in this program too because I thought that I understood. I knew that I was a compulsive reader. So surely if I just ate this little bit of something, I knew that I couldn't just keep eating it. Somehow I thought that I had power over that first bite. 
that if I took the first flight, it wasn't going to take me this time because I knew that I had a problem. It's just, it's such insane thinking. Um, you know, this knowledge that uh, we look for to figure out why we ate. You know, I ate because my father left when I was eight and I felt abandoned. I ate because, you know, those people are mean to me. I ate because um, someone shoved the food in front of me. I ate because someone asked me to try something. I ate because, you know, my mom yelled at me. I ate because whatever. You fill in the blank. And, you know, the day came when I ate for absolutely no reason, none. And just like he's, he, you know, I don't know all this history like Monica did, but, you know, he ate on the boat coming back to America. It's like knowledge does not do me any good. I don't, you know, I tried to find the perfect food plan in these rooms. I tried to, you know, do exactly what someone else was doing. I thought if I just copied them, then I would um, get recovery. This is an internal job. This is an internal changing of one's mind from acting the way I had acted before and approaching life the way I did before to turning around and approaching it differently to not what am I going to do, but what is God going to do and what does God want me to do? And do I believe that I can get through these next 24 hours without having to pick up the next bite? Not what am I going to do, you know, at my high school reunion and where can I, you know, what size will I be, but what can I do for the next 24 hours? Because my best thinking got me to, uh, you know, picking up the food because someone told me to. And, you know, my best thinking got me to suicidal tendencies and depression. So I can't rely on myself. I don't need to get all the knowledge in the world. I just need to do what the next right thing in front of me, which, you know, today is getting ready for work and taking my food with me so I don't set myself up for failure and, um, and putting the rest in God's hands. And I, I wanted to figure it all out. You know, I wanted to understand everything about life. I wanted to know the future. I wanted to you know, understand the past, and I wanted to know it all. But the fact is, I don't have to know it all. I only have to do the next right thing. And, um, you know, I don't need to mentally torture myself by trying to figure it all out. You know, that's what's got this guy. I'm no Yale graduate or whatever he was. And I have figured out how to stay abstinent. You know, not because I'm so smart, but because I'm willing. I'm willing to do what it takes. I'm willing to be honest. When things are not exactly how I thought they would be, I pick up the phone and I talk about it. Or I commit, um, you know, when my attitude starts to go south, I get on my knees and I ask God to help me. You know, these are all the actions that I take today um, I don't have this um, level of knowledge that excludes me from working this program. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't plan on being here 25 years later, but I, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. And Sally, please. Thank you, Leah. Good morning. A vision for you. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Um, you know, this is really, a, a, for me, a very powerful paragraph, especially because my degree is in psych, and um, even my master's is in the field of psych, and I worked in a psych hospital. And I'm just reminded of a time, more than one time, when I left OA looking for an easier, softer way, which not necessarily that I was looking for an easier, softer way, or nor did I think I was, but I just wanted to use my brain to get out of this dilemma. I was in a pit, and I imagined this guy must have felt like, this is ridiculous. I'm a smart guy. I'm a businessman. He had ability. He had good sense, high character. And here he is 
floundering from one sanitarium to another. He had to be thinking, this is ridiculous. There's got to be somebody who can fix this. And he's going to the professionals. He's going to the doctors. He's going from one American hospital to the next, one psych hospital to the next, one facility, one psychiatrist. Somebody's got to have an answer for me. If that doesn't work, let's try Europe, the geographic cure. Off to Europe he goes. And he goes to Dr. Young. This is Dr. Young, the eminent psychiatrist who I think many people are aware that he was an extremely famous psychiatrist. So here he's using all of his money, not all of it, but he's using his money, he's using his prestige, he's using his background. He's going to find the best who's going to fix me because somebody's got to be able to fix this because he's not able to fix himself. And I really relate to that because I myself walked away from OA. And and how many times did my family say to me, OA, that's not a solution. Mom, that's so black and white. That's so compulsive. Why does it have to be? You can't eat any or you're going to binge. In my own mental thinking, I didn't think that sounded so balanced. I thought that sounded kind of OCD, to be no sugar, no flour for the rest of my life versus let me find somebody who can help me to be temperate, someone who can help me to be not OCD about this, because that is how it appeared to me as a psych professional. Thank God that was not going to work, even with therapist after therapist that I went to, which, so I really relate to this guy. And, you know, rather than go through the rest of it, I just want to bring up to page 98, for me, a tremendous paragraph for my own solution, job or no job, wife or no wife, psych, psych hospital or psychiatrist or no psych, psychiatrist, we simply do not stop eating so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone the only condition is that he trust in God and clean house. Thanks, Leah, for letting me share. Thank you, Sally. And who else would like to share on this paragraph this morning? This is Melanie. Amy. I believe I heard Amy and Janice, yes. and then we'll catch some others. Go ahead, Amy. Good morning. My name is Amy. I'm a compulsive overeater from Maryland. More baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. He was drunk in a short time. What a a perfect description of the greater aspect of this disease, not the physical allergy, but the mental obsession. I mean, here is a man who got cleaned up, sobered up, got all the knowledge in the world from the best in the world, and yet found himself drunk again. How many times did I stand in front of the refrigerator five bites into the binge going, how the hell did I get here with all the best intentions, with all the knowledge that I had? I mean, this was even in OA. I understood that they're about compulsive overeating. I thought I was a compulsive overeater. I wanted this program. And yet here I was five bites into the binge going, how did I get here? This is the merciless mental obsession. And that if we are truly compulsive overeaters, that we place ourselves beyond human aid, that there is no way that we can stop the, it says, you know, we just read this earlier, this last week, therefore the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. My mind, I can't fight my mind with my mind. I can't fight my will with my will. I need a power outside of myself to relieve me from this insanity of this mental obsession. I knew without a shadow of a doubt once I put that food into my system, I was a goner. But what I never truly addressed was the powerlessness of the mental obsession. My family's motto was all it takes is a little willpower. Pull yourself up by a bootstrap. I thought that once I understood the disease, that once I understood what it was about, that I would therefore be able to be empowered by my knowledge to stop. And that was far from the truth. True powerlessness, true power true powerless came when I finally understood and surrendered that of myself, I could do nothing against this disease, that I was completely powerless against the mental obsession. 
that I needed a higher power to be relieved of this insanity and that I was going to turn my will and my life over to accountability and working these steps into a higher power to be transformed. That's where the, that's where the remedy is. It is a spiritual remedy. It's a spiritual remedy. We have a disease that has us powerless. It has me powerless. To this day, I am powerless over that first fight, but through this program, through the 12 steps, through my higher power, I have the aid that I need, but it certainly doesn't come from me. All the knowledge in the world does nothing but make my binges more powerful and make my pain more powerful. This is where we have to get to learn true powerlessness of this disease, powerlessness of the mental obsession. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. And Janice, please. Good morning. Good morning, Leia. Good morning, Vision, for you. This is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. You know, we've just been reading that there was no middle-of-the-road solution, that there was no middle-of-the-road solution, and then, and then they give us an example, an example of someone for whom the answer had not yet been found, someone for whom the solution had not yet been found. And what does that look like? Well, here was this man, a certain American businessman, and he had ability, and he had good sense, and he had high character. This is a pretty great guy. You know, this this was a smart man, a competent man, and he could not stop drinking. He could not stop drinking. He had floundered, floundered from sanitarium to sanitarium. He was at the point where he was no longer able to try just by his own power. Now he's going to sanitarium. And he decides to go and place himself under the care of this great psychiatrist, well-known, well-versed in the inner workings of the mind. And here he was looking for help. And even though his, it says, though experience had made him skeptical. So what are they talking about here? Experience. His own personal experience. And you know what? I was invited when I read this to look at my own personal experience. And my own personal experience also had made me skeptical that there was going to be one more way to try because my experience had shown me that over and over and over again the inevitable would happen and I would pick up again no matter how great the desire or the wish, no matter how long I'd been between binges, no matter how long I'd been between episodes of compulsive overeating, the inevitable would happen. But here, this man came out of this year of working with this famous psychiatrist and felt, okay, now I've got it. I've got enough self-knowledge, the inner workings of my mind, have been revealed to me. I can see exactly why this was happening and why the result of this was this, and I've got it all under control now. I've got it all under control. Relapse seems unthinkable, knowing everything that he knew. And I have been there. I don't know about you, but I have been there, thinking, this time I've really got it. This time I really understand exactly why I ended up in this place. But nevertheless, it says he was drunk in a short time and more baffling still because he'd been drunk in a short time many times before. But more baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. But this time, I really thought I had it. And I don't know about you, but one of the absolute worst places for me that I got to over and over was, here I am again. Here I am again. Despite the strong desire and wish, despite all my efforts, despite spending time with therapists and diet groups and no matter what I had been trying, especially therapists, the inner workings of my mind revealed to me, that alone was not going to do it. Self-knowledge might be a wonderful thing, But for this compulsive overeater, it had no effect on the disease of compulsive overeating. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, 
Janice. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I wanted to focus in on uh, this statement here. Above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. Um, you know, this this is a recurrent theme in the big book, this, this theme that uh, self-knowledge, including knowledge of our illness, uh, you know, is, is not going to provide us with an adequate defense against that first bite. Uh, that was certainly true for, you know, Roland Hazard here as we're reading. I mean, he was, you know, as was previously stated, you know, came from a prominent family. He was a real Yale graduate, very bright guy. He was a big shot. Um, but, you know, acquiring profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs uh, was not enough of a mental defense against that first by, against that first drink. Um, you know, self-knowledge and intellect cannot conquer the merciless obsession. And we saw that in Bill's story. You know, Bill thought, uh, you know, understanding himself now, he was going to fare forth in, in high hope and surely self-knowledge about his illness, self-knowledge about alcoholism was going to be enough. But again, the frightful day came when he drank once more. So, you know, even after we learn about our illness, even if you're on the line here every morning learning, studying the doctor's opinion, studying about the greater aspect of the disease, uh, all that will result from that is that you will be a smart compulsive overeater. <laughs> the disease has to humble us to a point where we are willing to actually take these action steps that are described so clearly on these pages. Because our thinking is our greatest obstacle to our disease. You know, the the big book makes it very clear that if we are a real compulsive overeater, if Roland Hazard was a real alcoholic, which of course he was, um, the only the only solution is a spiritual experience. Only a spiritual experience will conquer this this malady, this illness. And even all his money, money can't buy God. Intellect can't buy God. Self-knowledge can't earn your way to God. You know, the only way to earn your way to God is death of, self, uh, death, death of ego, death of that self-will run riot. And, and how does that occur? Well, through the implementation of the steps. The implementation of the steps breaks us down to a degree where God can reveal the uh, the true spiritual, uh, you know, gifts and gems within each and every one of us. But it is through the breaking down of ego and breaking down of self-will and riot that that can be revealed. We have to be destroyed essentially, before we can be rebuilt. And with that, I pass. Anyone else want to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Rose? Rose, go ahead. Thank you. This is Rose, uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And um, there's just two parts. Um, the part of the sentence, though experience had made him skeptical, and also the last sentence, <clears throat> more baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. And the only thing I would add to everything that was covered here already so beautifully is that for me, um, my experience made me skeptical, and I was baffled by the repeated um, uh, abuse that I inflicted on myself with trying to find the method that would work for me, and I was convinced um, to my core that I was going to be able to beat the game of the eating, my eating disease. And the missing link here for me was that it was self, self, self. And obviously at those years there was no connection, no understanding, no belief, um, being as unsurrendered to the facts in my life 
there was no opening for a higher power, for a higher influence to come in. And we're going to be going into it in the next paragraphs here. That without calling on help, without saying, I am beat, there was no way, no way for me to ever rise out of self um, sufficiently to say, oh, my God, I can't do this. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Rose. Let's move on to the next paragraph, please, with Rebecca. I'd like to share. I would like to share. And your name, please. Who would like to share? I would. And your name? Diana. Diana, go ahead. I was just listening in. We can I tried repeated efforts to we cannot control this disease with our minds. Cuz it just we can't control it an illness with our mind. That's all I have to share. Thank you, Diana. And Rebecca, please if you could read that next paragraph. Good morning. This is Rebecca. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. So he returned to this doctor whom he admired and asked him point blank why he could not recover. He wished above all things to regain self-control. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems, yet he had no control whatever over alcohol. Why was this? And I'd like to share that um, I can identify with the story about Roland Hazard and um, specifically how he wished above all things to regain self-control. And I came to OA and I didn't have a clue about how the program worked and I listened and I studied and um, I just didn't get it at first. I thought that I was learning enough about how to, frankly, be thin um, to take what I was learning in the program and uh, do it myself with my own self-control. And I actually had success with that for a while, just like Roland Hazard um, managed to keep uh, his disease at bay for a while. Um, But it came back and it bit me, and um, it took enough experiences of losing self-control to start to have um, what the people, my fellows in this room, were trying to teach me, that um, it wasn't about self-control. And it's just amazing how thick-headed I was that it took whatever it took till I um, got that I didn't get to use a diet plan as my food plan, that I did have to go to a nutritionist, which I resisted, and that I did have to put down my binge foods 100%, not 97%. And I did have to get a recovered sponsor and um, do... um, what my sponsor told me to do and work these steps and that um, by virtue of following all these clear-cut directions, I was able to recover and the obsession has been removed. Um, And when people talk to me about trying to figure out what happened in their childhood that um, in order to lick this problem, you know, I tell them that they don't have to do that. They just have to follow the steps and follow the clear-cut directions in this book. Um, you don't have to analyze yourself till the cows come home. It it's, might be interesting, but it doesn't produce recovery, just like it didn't in Roland Hazard and it didn't in me. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Rebecca. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Ken. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. You know, and today is June 10th, 
and June 10th is the 78th anniversary of the birth of AA. So I think it's so beautiful that we are seeing here the choreography of God, the absolute choreography of God, because Roland Hazard will have a spiritual awakening when he goes to the Oxford groups. He will bring that message to Ebby Thatcher, and Ebby Thatcher will bring that message to Bill Wilson. So on the anniversary of the beginning of the Fellowship of AA, we are reading this story, and it's just so touching. So it says here, Roland asked him, asked Dr. Young, point blank, point blank, why he could not recover. You know, and we saw two different places in the prior two pages that were beyond human aid, beyond human aid. And that is what Roland has exhausted. You know, I know I suffered from the if-onlys, if-only. If only I could get on the Dr. Phil show. If only I could get on The Biggest Loser. You know, Roland had enough money. He was able to get access to all that stuff. If only I had enough money and I could hire a personal chef and I could hire a personal trainer. Well, Roland's family was wealthy enough that one time they paid someone to stay with him for an entire year on an island and he was able to stay sober only to come home and start drinking again. You know, his mental and physical condition are unusually good. I have my picture. I don't even know if it's still there, but I have a picture in a a gym that I went to with a before and after picture. And I have a little blurb about how this gym made me lose weight. And I had to stop going because I gained the weight. You know, the inner workings of his mind. I have a psychology degree, and I think the main reason I got it was to try to figure myself out. And I had a class where we had to pick a psychiatric diagnosis and write it in first person as if we had that diagnosis. And I wrote a paper on bulimia. And my teacher gave me an A-plus and told me it was amazing how I was getting to the mind of the bulimic. Little did you know, it was really a paper on what I want to be when I grow up. What I want to be when I grow up. So he's asking point blank why he couldn't recover Well, part of it is that next sentence. He wished above all things to regain self-control. Selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of our trouble. Self cannot do this. This man has access to everything, everything, every excuse I had of why I couldn't. Why I couldn't recover was because I needed this. I needed that. If only, if only. And the fact is I am beyond human aid. In step one, when we admit we're powerless over food and our life is unmanageable, it is the death of the food. We have to, it is a death. We can no longer ingest those substances because of the allergy of the body. And when we get to step three and we turn our life over to a higher power because we're beyond human need, that's the death of the self. The death of the self. I heard a great line. Step three is the decision to stop making decisions. I had to just follow direction because he wished above all things to regain self-control. And that's the exact reason he couldn't recover because as long as we depend on self, we're never going to go towards a higher power. And if we never go towards a higher power, we're never going to have a spiritual awakening. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, Leanne. Leanne, go ahead. I'm on my cell. I hope you can hear me. Um, Boy, this really reminds me of, um, you know, when I started going south with my eating, it seemed to occur after, you know, more after my mom had some input in how I ate. And um, I always would think, you know, eventually her good influence is going to kick in. You know, somewhere inside of me, her influence is there because my mom was an absolute beautiful eater she just she didn't go for the sauces and the creams and the condiments and all this jazz and she ate so it's just beautiful and I saw my sister and brother they had the same thing they could just you know they can just do continue eating like they did when my mom was still feeding us like no problem and I kept thinking like one day that's going to kick in for me why would I be the only oddball here that has this crazy way of eating? Um, so this is really bringing it home, and I love the fact that I don't have to figure out why. That never worked. I did the same, figuring out all these 
you know, years of therapy, trying to figure out if I was abused this way or that way and why, you know, that mat- none of that matters at all. What a relief. What a relief to know that I just have to follow the directions and if God wants to reveal anything to me, it will come up, you know, with my fourth and fifth and my tenth, daily ten steps or whatever has to come up to trust him that he will bring it when it's time and then, then the healing can come. It's not like I have to ignore um, any trauma or whatever, but that's not, you know, that's not it for the very beginning here when I had to put it down, put down all these behaviors. The anorexia was so, so extreme in trying to control the food. And um, what a relief. And um, I love reading about this. I mean, what what an example. The guy went across the ocean and spent a year, I mean, and it's nothing, none of it matters. So today I'm just in acceptance and gratitude and I'm so happy to be in touch with people who have the real answer and the real message. It's just such a breath of fresh air and such a relief. <clears throat> Thanks for letting me share. I Thank you, Leanne. And anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Leah, this is Deborah. Deborah, go ahead. Um, here, Roland, Ryland is. Um, he goes back to the doctor that he admired. He learned a lot, and he said, you know, he, you know, asked him point blank why you could not recover. He wished above all things to regain self-control. He seemed quite rational and well balanced with respect to other problems. Yet, there was no control whatever over alcohol. Why was this? And I asked myself, I didn't have the money or the luxury or the insurance to go to um, a treatment center or whatever. And again, you know, I just, what's wrong with me? Why can't I stop? And even when I went to my first meetings way back in 1982, you know, I'm sitting around the rooms, I'm identifying in, luckily, I could identify with what they said, but I just didn't know why I couldn't stop and how these 12 steps would have anything to do. And thankfully, I was told to just keep coming back, get a sponsor, find someone who has what you you would like, and do what they tell you to do. I, you know, my best thinking got me here, and uh, if I knew how to do it, I wouldn't need this program. And thank God I got desperate enough that I, too, baffled as I was, just followed those that had what I wanted, and because I definitely... I could control my schoolwork, my kids, my finances, my checking account, um, my work schedule, my productivity. But when it came to food, I was utterly without defense against that first bite. And I had to just go and be around like-minded people who had a solution, I pass. Thank you, Deborah. Uh, this is Leah. I, I would like to comment on this statement here. He wished above all things to regain self-control. Uh, so Roland Hazard, you know, he he had this desire to stop. Uh, he had this desire to control his alcoholism, to uh, somehow control this demon that lived inside of him, but wishing things and uh, chasing, uh, you know, intellect and self-knowledge and even the greatest uh, psychiatrist of the time uh, wasn't enough. You know, if 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 you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you always got. If the greater aspect of my disease resides in my mind, in my thinking, and in my out 
attitudes and in my outlook on life. And if that does not change, <laughs> no matter how much knowledge I had about compulsive overeating, no matter how much times I wished and prayed and cried that this demon inside of me would be, uh, you know, expelled from my soul, uh, that was not enough because my character could not be changed by wishing. My character could not be changed by thought alone, and my character could not be changed by even prayer alone. And it couldn't be solved by other people. I sat on a couch and, and, and talked about my woes with a therapist for five years, 1982 to 1987, weekly appointments, trying to somehow uh, put a put an end to the merciless obsession that was happening in my life. I mean, I was a bright kid. I came from, uh, you know, <laughs> bright parents, successful parents, high achievers, you know, highly motivated. Uh, I was highly motivated, determined young person. Uh, you know, why couldn't I stop this insanity? You know, I was the creator of my own pain. No one was doing that to me. No one was doing that to Roland Hazard. We do it with our own fists. We self-destruct against our... We kill ourselves under the guise of comfort. Under the guise of comfort, we self-destruct by our own fists. We are the creator of our own pain. The doctor's opinion reminds us of that. Where we succumb, we actually invite the disease in. No one is doing that to us. And yet we continue to worship the thinking mind and the ego. That's why this program of recovery offers us a new mind, a spirit-guided mind. We get that through the process of the 12 steps, where we begin this relationship with a power greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity, bring us soundness of mind, release, relieve us of this merciless obsession, and allow us to walk this earth free men and women. That's what this book is designed to bring about. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move Rose? on? Rose, Karen? go ahead. Thank you, Leah. It's Rose, compulsive, recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Um, <clears throat> last sentence, why was this? And and I know my answer. My answer was, out of the doctor's opinion, um, I was in full flight from reality, and I was a mental defective. I can only say that after having come through the steps and seeing it in spades for myself, <clears throat> that that was my state. I was smart, like like what was just said, I had a lot going for me in the world um, and uh, attributes, uh, self-gotten and stuff like that. But I was uh, in full flight from reality. I was powerless. I didn't know it. I was insane. I didn't know it. I, I didn't go the, the therapy route because uh, I didn't believe in therapists. I didn't believe in anything except for my own self. And I didn't believe in God. And why was this? That there was no solution. <clears throat> Until last year, God was able to get a lick in into my picture and and show me point blank that I was utterly powerless. We're going to go into that. But this, this, uh, this, this, <laughs> why was this? The fact that I can I can say I I know why it was for me is so beyond my um I almost want to speak it very softly and quietly because it was a it's a gift given um I didn't earn it I didn't work for it I didn't get it on my own it was a free gift given to get the answer to that sentence why was it I was so nuts and so much of a person uh, ridden with this disease and so blind and so empty and with all of that like the rest of my fellow fellows who share this disease with me after all those years a crack came in my shell and 
uh, thing was able to be slipped in that said, oh, my God, I can't do it. And then, so the rest of the book here, we'll go into that. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Rose. Was there someone else that wanted to comment on this paragraph before we close? Yes, Karen. Karen, go ahead. Hi. Thank you so much for this wonderful meeting. My name is Karen. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader in Delaware. And uh, I think that this paragraph talks about how grateful I am to be a compulsive overeater because the eating got my attention. I was self-will run wyatt. I seemed rational while balanced with respect to other problems. But this food caught my attention. And I wished above all things to regain self-control with the food. I wanted to control and enjoy my eating. And um, this disease beat me into a state of reasonableness. Um, you know, one day I just wanted to go home and I was driving from drive through to drive through and I was crying because I really just wanted to go home, but I couldn't. I would go to the next drive through and eat and drive around, and then I wanted to go home, and I couldn't. I had to go to another drive through So that really caught my attention. And Roland's attention was caught also by his alcoholism. And this lovely thing, uh, he asked the doctor point blank why he could not recover. Point blank means to me, like, I want real honesty. I don't care about my ego and my self-will. I want you. I want to know honestly why I can't recover. I'm at the point where I don't care if you tell me whatever you tell me. I want point blank to know why. Just a level of desperateness and a level of hey, I want honesty here. Whatever it is, I don't. You know, my ego is not involved anymore. And. Um, because I felt desperate over the food, then I was willing to work the steps. So then I, that got a crack into me because I was seeming quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems. But because of that, because of my food, I had to look at the rest of my life. Over here on page 60, gives a great example of that. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. So that looking at step three helped me to see that I was only seemingly rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems. Um, But if I hadn't had that desperation with food, I would have never looked at that. And I wouldn't wouldn't want to see where I'm selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and frightened. I would have just kept going to... um, try and control everything no matter what. So I am so grateful to be a compulsive overeater because it has changed my whole life Um, because now I'm trying to not be selfish and not be rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems but to ask the higher power to guide me in everything. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Karen, and thanks to everybody who shared this morning. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Deborah, are you available to read, please, from a vision for you? Star one to unmute, Deborah. All right, let's move on to Penny E. Penny E., might you be available to read from page 164? Yes, Leah, thank you. Our book is meant to I'm, be suggestive. Oh, I, I've got it. If I Sorry, the unmuting took me a moment. May I read? Go ahead, Deborah. Penny E., we I, thank you. Go ahead. I thank you, too. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. 
see to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand him. Understand God, excuse me. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.